0: We turn this morning to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, and then 25 to 29, Hebrews 12, 22, 25 to 29, 22, but ye are come unto Mount Zion, Zion, as we said, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. Let me read that again. See that ye refuse not, capital H, God that speaketh. For if they escape, they, Israel, for if they escape not who refused, capital H, God that spake on earth. Let me read that again. See that ye refuse not God that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused God that spake on earth through Moses. Much more Shall not we escape, if we turn away from, capital H, God, that speaketh from heaven? Let me read that again. See that ye refuse not God that speaketh. For if they, Israel, escape not who refused God that spoke on earth at Sinai through Moses, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him, God, that speaketh from heaven by means of Jesus Christ. There you go. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he, God, hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, again, which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Father, this morning, sobering words. This morning, glorious words. Words that are written that take us to the very height of our understanding in Christ. And we pray today that you would reward the humble of heart. With further clarity and sight, with greater embrace and development of heart, to your glory and for that one's good. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to understand exactly why we have been singing and singing and singing at Study Hour End, that little chorus. Let's talk about Jesus. For he is truly the focus of our attention, the blessedness of our love and care, having first loved us. Help us in this morning, we pray, in response. And for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Every elementary age child has been intrigued at some point by the push and the pull of two magnets. You hold the magnets with poles opposite, and they attract and stick together. You turn the magnets around and hold their poles in in polar opposite. I said, and polar being the same, and they and they push away. And by just flipping the one, it'll pull or flip it. It'll push. Flip it. It'll pull. Flip it. It'll push. Push, pull, push, push. You can amaze a kid for hours with that. The push and the pull of a magnet. Likewise, the communication of the one true God of heaven and earth at Sinai through Moses repelled or pushed away the Jewish nation. The Hebrews could not endure hearing God directly. Too scary. Too fearful. And you recall that they asked that uh, that God speak only to Moses. And then they said that whatever Moses told them, God said, uh, they would be willing to do it. And in fact, we studied that, Hebrews 12, 20, For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, Sinai, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. The law of God itself repelled the Jewish nation and condemned the Jewish nation, although it faithfully represented the righteousness of the God who gave that law. Because the law that God gave righteously reflects who He is. The Bible says that the law is good. The Bible says that the law is spiritual. The Bible says that the law of God is holy, but the law of God itself repels sinners and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the way that the law of God was delivered, the modus operandi of how the law was delivered at Sinai was so dramatic. I mean, it was thundering and lightning. And it was dark, and there were flashes of fire. And the voice was so loud that uh, you couldn't hardly stand it. And the people literally refused. They begged off. They said, please excuse us from hearing God directly. We can't take it. Such was the scene at Sinai when God gave his covenant law to the Jewish nation. For our purposes, we simply want to be reminded this morning that the Old Covenant or the Old Testament given at Sinai through Moses pushes sinners away and declares that sinners are condemned by thrice-holy God. But... According to verse 18, as previously studied, the believer in Jesus Christ has not come to Mount Sinai, verse 18, but rather has come to, verse 22, as read this morning again, Mount Zion. We certainly ought to be able to see the attraction of us in Christ, having been reminded of the repelling Under the law, in contrast, God, through Moses, repelled sinful people. God, through Jesus, draws sinful people. Here's the basic contrast. You don't dare lose it, or you're going to miss an awful lot in this passage. God, through Moses, pushed sinners To the brink of their destruction as condemned already. But God, in our blessed Savior Jesus Christ, draws people to God. Now, here's how Jesus said that. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men onto myself. Jesus draws us to God. The law pushes us away from God. All those that come to Mount Zion verse 22 are under the new covenant of Jesus blood verse 24 and are not repelled or pushed away from God, but on the basis of the blood of Christ are drawn and attracted to God, just like that magnet. That when you look at God and the subject of God from the standpoint of the uh, of the law, uh, you are pushed away. But when you flip your mind and you come to Mount Zion and you have relationship with Christ, then when you approach God, you come together. You're drawn. You're attracted. The blood of Christ shed in our behalf speaks. The last thought of verse 24 is that Christ's blood spout or speaks of better things than that of Abel. You recall that Abel was murdered and that when his blood was shed in the field that his blood cried out to God for justice. And that is used in verse 24 to remind us that the Old Testament law, which perfectly represents the righteousness of God to sinful mankind, that law cries out for justice. Justice for God. That which is right for God in relationship to sinners. And because the law cries out for justice, but not justice for me or you, but justice for God. Therefore, you and I are condemned already under the law of God until we have placed faith in Jesus Christ. Just like the blood of Abel cried out for justice, the blood of the Lord Jesus cries out for our justification. And now it is on the basis of that that you and I, verse 25, where we pick up this morning, that you and I are to see to it. You and I are to see to it. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. Who's speaking? God. God did speak. He spoke through Moses. He gave his law. God did finally and completely speak again. And he spoke through Jesus, and he gave us our Lord. And the Lord draws us to God. How did Jesus say that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Lord draws people to God the Father. The law pushes people from God the Father. The law condemns the sinner. And makes him say, oh God, what can I do? And God said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What follows in the logic of our text is the imperative, verse 25, see to it. Followed by the exhortation, verse 28, have grace. There are two things here that stand by way of things that you and I are to respond to as believers. First of all, verse 25, see that ye refuse not God that speaketh. Don't you refuse like Israel did. Don't you excuse yourself from hearing from God directly. Don't do that like Israel did. Don't do that. And then verse 28, let us have grace. So there is an imperative here, and there is an exhortation here that are to be understood in complement of each other, and that is the imperative, see that you don't refuse to hear God's word. And also, the exhortation, possess or have grace. See that you refuse not this one that speaks from heaven. Now, it's logical and understandable that with all the scary stuff going on associated with the giving of the law and with Moses it's understandable that the people would uh, uh, would be repelled by the communication of the law but what the uh, what the writer is going to say to the Hebrews is that it is illogical it's absolutely illogical in fact it's foolish for any person this side of the gospel, this side of Christ's death on the cross for our sins, this side of the burial and resurrection, this side of the ascension to the right hand of the Father, it is absolutely illogical uh, not to exercise uh, the grace of God that has provided us in Jesus Christ. Why would you not use the grace of God provided you? Kind of the thought here in Hebrews chapter 12 beginning at verse 25. Now I want to give you from the flow of the text here five reasons why we are drawn to thrice holy God in Christ our Lord and why we must now live in loving loyalty to our Lord. So the five reasons connect to two things. And the first thing is uh, why it is that you and I are drawn to God as opposed to uh, uh, being repelled away from God. And uh, why it is that we are now to live in loving loyalty to our Lord. Five things from the text. The first thing that I want to start with comes from the understanding of verse 24 and 25 and that is that there are always now only two options for every person alive on the earth concerning the judgment of God. Will anybody on earth escape God's judgment. No. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Every male, every female, every individual person, now alive or dead, every Jew, every Gentile, every young person, every old person, will face God the judge. And God the Judge will judge every person by His faithful communications of Himself. God will first and foremost judge every person by His faithful communication of His law at Sinai through Moses. Because that law is a perfect, holy reflection of the righteousness of God's demand. And God will indeed judge based upon the further revelation of himself in Jesus Christ and the work of Christ on the cross. People, all people, are either going to be judged by the law of God alone or judged by the law in the Lord. All people are either judged by the law of God alone, or they will be judged by the law in the Lord. And you and I that are judged by God in the Lord know that our standing before God is one of perfect, blessed righteousness. His blood was shed for our sins. By faith, we take on the position and the performance of Christ under judgment. Believers are judged in the Lord, and that is the basis upon which they successfully stand before the righteous application of God's law. This is why John tells us that no one who believes is condemned, but that the unbeliever is condemned already. Every individual has an appointment to be judged by God, whose law has been revealed through Moses at Sinai. But the Lord Jesus perfectly met that righteous standard of the law, And then paid the penalty for our sins in substitution. And if you trust in God, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then God the Father's question is, how well did he do? If you don't trust in Jesus Christ, then God the Father's question is, how well did you do? So if you trust in Jesus, the question of God is, how did he do? And if you don't trust in Jesus, the question of God is, how did you do? And if you get before God and he asks you the question, how did you do? You're in trouble, Jack. But if you get before God and the question is, how well did my son do in whom you trust? Then you will be most blessed of your Heavenly Father. Two options in God's judgment law alone or law met in the Lord. Law alone or law perfectly met in the Lord. Any person who would refuse or excuse themselves from hearing this good news of the gospel, this application of justification by the Lord's own blood, that person will not stand in the day of judgment. And why would you refuse it? Why would you excuse yourself from hearing that? No, it attracts you to the Father. It does not repel you from the Father. First key word is options. The second key word is obliteration, as in annihilation or destruction. Uh, There is uh, here uh, an amazing thing told us as uh, we get in verse 25 into the flow of verse 26. Let me just read it again for continuity. See that ye refuse... Not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on the earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. The revelation that has come in Christ, the revelation of our Lord, the revelation of our Lord in whom we believe we must continue to hear that truth and hear that truth and hear that truth and apply that truth and live that truth and not refuse to hear what God has to say about that thing. It's absolutely illogical to live in this world without fresh application of the gospel of Christ to your soul. That's the logic of the Hebrew writer in this case. And then we're reminded, verse 26... Whose voice, God's voice, then Sinai shook the earth. There was a shaking. God did shake the earth at Sinai. But now God hath promised, and he promised it in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6. God hath promised, saying, Once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. And over in the margin of my Bible, I have written in pencil, God did shake. Drew a line, and below it I wrote, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because God did shake the earth at Sinai when he raised by way of revelation the law, the righteous standard of the law. But God also promised a coming day when he will shake not only the earth, but heaven. And then we read in verse 27, And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as as things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. What does that say? It says that God is going to shake the shakeable to the point of destruction. That God is going to remove everything that is shakeable. And that the only thing that's going to remain is the unshakable. We are talking about the removal of things made or created that remain in a shakeable state. Peter tells us that the heavens and the earth, as we now know it, will be dissolved in the coming day of God and made new. God's shake plan and promise argues for unshakable faith in Jesus Christ. So... Uh, is, uh, is the piano shakeable? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I, could, I could shake the piano by myself, but if I got Tom and Chris and Jim to come and help me, I mean, we could really shake that thing. And if I got all the men in the church to grab a hold of the piano and we just shook it violently, as violently as we could, we could be knocking pieces off that piano left and right. Bing, bong, there goes all the strings. And what about the organ? Could we shake that? Listen, that thing already half shook. Now that we're without an organist, of course, there's this undertow. There's always undertow in a church. The undertow in the we ought to find somebody to play the organ. Well, first of all, if you found somebody, they couldn't play that organ. But nonetheless, that thing is not just shakeable. It's half shook. There's tubes in there, and those tubes glow, and they don't glow in colors you want to get near. God is going to remove everything in the earth that is shakeable. That new car, it'll shake. That new stove, it'll shake. That new job, it'll shake. That new house, it'll shake. This whole earth, it'll shake. What about the moon? It'll shake. What about the stars? It'll shake. What about the celestial heavens? They'll shake. God is going to shake everything he made that is shakable in order that only the unshakable will remain. So the question is, what in our world right now, what in our purview, what in our audience is indeed unshakable? Glad you asked. Number three, the third key word is opportunity. We have been drawn to thrice holy God in Christ, and we must now live in loving loyalty to our Lord Jesus because, according to verse 28, his kingdom as received is unshakable. Look at it, verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, which cannot be shaken. Let us possess grace. Let us operate in grace. Let us attend to the grace of God that has been brought to us in Christ Jesus. Whereby, based upon that grace that we received in Jesus Christ, we can serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear the kingdom into which we have been transferred by grace through faith and we continue to receive is not subjected to the coming destruction of God's promise to destroy in this light grace is to be seen as the dominating factor of our earthly experience even now how will I get to heaven grace of God. How am I to live on earth? The grace of God. How do I get to heaven? By the grace of God. How am I to live on earth? By the grace of God. And so the author of Hebrews says, let us have grace. You certainly don't want to be like those people of Israel that refuse to hear God speak directly as he did to Moses. No, you know that God has now spoken finally and completely in his own dear son, Jesus Christ. And you don't want to refuse that in any way, even as a believer. You don't want to refuse any of that. No, you want to, as a recipient of grace, and, and being one who is receiving the kingdom, because it isn't all yours in real tangible reality just yet, but it's yours in promise and in start. But you want to receive that kingdom, which is unshakable, and operate even now, even here, even on earth, uh, uh, by grace. By grace and grace alone, we shall endure the coming shakeup. I know people, I know Christians, that are just all freaked out over the fact that uh, uh, that uh, we're coming to another political season and that uh, things are are kind of shaking. So what? Listen, I'm telling you, there's a shaking that's a lot more uh, involved in this world and heaven than anything that can happen on this earth. And that's the shaking that God's going to do. And you and I ought to be the people that represent God's word and God's truth to sinful people day in and day out until God himself uh, comes to get this done. We ought not be caught up in the shakings, the little tremors of this earth. We ought to be caught up in the little things that are a part of this world. Things that are higher, things that are nobler. These have allured our sight, haven't they? Aren't we looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith? Should not we have grace? whereby we can serve God acceptably. That's number four, officiation. I say officiation because the words for worship and service there are liturgical words, meaning they come right out of the Old Testament priesthood. We that are drawn to thrice holy God in Christ are to live in loving loyalty to our Lord because we are enabled by Christ to serve God acceptably. We can serve God acceptably right here and right now. How can we do it? By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can serve God acceptably. Now, there are two characteristics of this acceptable worship and service, namely reverence and godliness. Reverence carries the thought of honor and righteous regard for God. I am not the reverend one. God is reverend. He is in all our worship and serving to be righteously regarded. I'm not saying that you should treat me with unrighteous regard. But I do insist upon saying to you that you should first and foremost render your righteous regard for God. And if you always do that, then I'll make out just fine. I am never to worry about whether people hold me as reverend. I am only to be concerned that people hold God as reverend. Righteously regarded as God. God centered ministry is our only righteous choice. Personally, it's our only. Righteous choice collectively. Furthermore, the text indicates that we should uh, worship and serve God with godliness. And I remind you that godliness is having a correct attitude towards the Almighty, hunger for God, love for God, and fear of God. We are drawn to God in right hearted worship and in right hearted service when we come under the blessedness of the blood of Christ as the basis of our salvation and the blessedness of the blood of Christ as the only basis for our service that matters at all. Saved by grace. And Hebrews twelve twenty-eight says you need to serve by grace too. You need to serve God based upon what God has brought to you. Not based upon what you think you might have for God. People that fascinate and worry about what they can do for God are on a mental fool's errand. God brings to me, brings to you, that which he desires, and by grace and by gift of God, you and I possess that which we have to offer God in righteous service. Therefore, don't refuse, as did Israel, to hear God and the gospel and the truth of Christ and about the grace of God, not only for salvation, to which every Baptist would say, amen, but the grace of God for Christian service. That very few Baptists hear correctly. Because we are part of a movement that actually thought for years and years and years, and some still do, we can do things for God. When God doesn't need anything done for him, he's God! If God is your Father, what would you give as a gift? (laughs) God gives to you, in Christ, that which He desires. God has given to you, in Christ, that which He desires, Christ, Christ. The last word is omen. Verse 29, for our God is, some theologians think it says was. Some theologians say that verse 29 should read, for our God was a consuming fire. That's the God of the Old Testament. That's the angry, mad, righteous God of the Old Testament. And uh, God was a consuming fire. No, the Bible says God is. God is not changed. From the giving of the revelation of the law to Moses to the giving of the Lord in the gospel. He has not changed. He has not changed. He has not changed. He is holy God. Ever righteous perfectly. And he never changes. But he's not just holy. He's also merciful. And because he's merciful, for God so loved the world that he gave... His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is described at verse 29 as a consuming fire. We are drawn to thrice holy God in Christ because he is, because he remains an all consuming fire. Now, we don't have time this morning. To give you the logic for that, that'll be next week. We'll pick up with it next week. But for this morning, please just understand that the same fire that warms you in the winter can destroy your house. And the God who is a consuming fire uh, uh, indeed will burn you up if you are yet in your sins. And yet when you are in Christ, that same holy fire is the sign of his Acceptance, and one of the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful words of twenty-eight and twenty-nine together is the fact: is that by grace, you and I can serve God acceptably. Now, let me just plant a thought in your mind for next week. Uh, Under the law, uh, when the priests brought the right sacrifice and they initiated and inaugurated uh, the, the sacrificial sacrificial system under the law, and they brought it on the altar. And they stood back and offering that before God. The Bible recalls, uh, it tells us, that fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. And all the people knew that God had accepted it. That God had accepted them. That God was okay with them. And listen, by God's consuming fire, you and I know in Christ that we have been accepted among the beloved. So that Spurgeon's little famous poem rings true in our hearts time after time after time again. Near to the heart of God. Nearer I cannot be. For in the person of his Son, I'm just as near as he. It is a wonderful blessing to know that you are accepted by God. It's a wonderful thing to sing, to pray, to preach, and to know that it's accepted before God because you've done it in grace, the grace of Christ, the blessedness of Christ, your relationship with Christ. Now you are understanding better and better and better why we've been singing. Let's just talk about Jesus and make him the focus of our attention and our worship and our love. Father, thank you for the attentive year this morning. We pray that you would bless as we respond to you as a people knowing that you are holy, that we would be holy as we depend upon you and walk with you in the light of thy indwelling Spirit. Thank you for the prospects that we have in this a new week to do that very thing. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Let's stand.